You're listening to the Texas Young Guns, where we showcase and highlight artists from the great state of Texas that span multiple music genres. In this segment, we're focusing our lens on Ryan Glenn. Find out why NPR tapped him as one of the 20 under 20 to keep your eye on in North Tejas. Enjoy. This month's feature is Ryan Glenn. Welcome. So Ryan, I'm really stoked to have you on today. Uh, (laughs) We're laughing here because um, we've been following Ryan's career uh, for the past year or so. Ryan actually was one of the uh, top 21 uh, from 2021 on our albums list uh, this past year. And, um, you know, we just think that he has a lot of, you know, exciting things ahead in his future from everything that we've listened to and everything that we see that Ryan is doing. So with that being said, we want to give the fine folks an opportunity to get to know you just a tad bit better. So I think I read somewhere that you were from Denton. Is that correct? And tell us a little bit about your hometown. Yes, ma'am. I am from Denton, Texas. Um, born and raised. <laughs> oh, gosh. Maybe. Would it be bad to preface that we recorded the interview and it got lost and we're doing a take two? No, let's do it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> just, so, just so if anything about it comes up, it's not confusing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so so the interview was is lost in space somewhere. <laughs> this is like deja vu. We're doing it again. <laughs> oh gosh, it's so funny. Okay, so here we go. So yeah, so people will understand why we're laughing hysterically over here. <laughs> okay, all right. So Denton, Denton is an awesome place to be from. Um, so uh, you currently live there? Are, well, when I say, are you from there? Um, what I really mean is, like, were you born and raised there? I mean, I know that you, I think, reside there now. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Um, technically, I was born in Richardson, but, you know, that's, I, I've been in the Denton area my entire life, and um, it's just so cool. There's so much awesome music, and there's so much awesome culture, and, you know, you go down to the square, and it's just, it's just so much fun. It really is just a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Who are you in school? The jock, the nerd, the stoner, class clown, the shy kid, et cetera? Well, um, I don't really think I was any of those categories. I mean, when I was in school, um, I was super into Elvis Presley, and I used to get picked on for it, but I used to walk around and, you know, these crazy blazers with my hair combed up and these big collared shirts and black and white shoes and I wore all pink black and white and these big gaudy rings and you know people call me the Elvis kids so if that's a category maybe I fall into that category yeah the swag I love that that's awesome there's always an Elvis kid in every school I think and we we had a I I, well I know I had a couple of Elvis kids you know some were better than others though (laughs) some could pull it off better than others you know the hair is really important I think you know (laughs) you have to get the hair down pat you know I saw a picture of you um where you had, you know, just the awesome, you know, kind of shiny, slick back hair with the leather jacket. You know, do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, and you're kind of like kneeling a little bit. 
Yes, ma'am. I took that all the way back in 2019. That was um, really when I first started getting into music. That was my first round of promotional photos. Yeah, that is such a super cool picture. I mean, it was, you know, looked very, um, you know, retro-ish, you know, like you could have been, you know, hanging out with Elvis in the 50s, you know. <laughs> so I like that. It almost had a, um, I don't, you know, I'm an old classic movie buff. So there's this movie, uh, Marlon Brando was in, it's called The Wild Ones, I think. Was it The Wild Ones? He had, uh, if you see that movie, like any of the still photographs for that movie, very similar to that shot of yours. The only difference is that he had a like a, a hat, a cap or something, like a motorcycle cap, but like the leather jacket and that, you know, kind of that swag, you know, that style, very similar to that movie. If you've never watched that, I mean, I don't know if you like those, you know, kind of relic uh, type movies from like the 40s, <laughs> but it's pretty cool, though. I love classic movies, and I love um, I love the wild one. I actually I actually have a hat, a uh, motorcycle cap that looks just like the one he wore in that movie. Except oh my- wow! So you know exactly what I'm talking about then. All right, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> we we love old movies around here. So how did you get started? I mean, do you come from a musical family? You know what what made you decide that you wanted to do this? I do. My um my mom and dad and. My grandma, I, I, I've grown up in music. They're all musicians, and I've grown up around music and seeing live music and listening to music just all the time, all the time, all the time. They were the ones that took me to my first you know, shows as a kid and my first concerts. They were the ones that, you know, are, it, it was, it, I, I've just been very blessed to be around it. And I remember, you know, I really wanted to do it. And I told my mom I really wanted to do it. And I, she was like, okay, all right, sure, you want to be a musician, okay, and I was like, no, mom, you don't understand, like, this is what I want to do with my life, like, and I remember just being a kid and telling her, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, I'm going to do this, and, um, you know, I, I got on Craigslist, and I put a band together, and I started practicing and writing my own music and playing shows, I've had so much help from so many awesome people, um, Kevin Guile with Two Tons of Steel is one of my big mentors, um, I just... I just wanted it, so, you know, I, I did everything I could to just grab it by the neck and take it. What was your first gig? What was it like? Uh, the first show I ever played, full band, um, I'd been doing some things to tracks before this, because, you know, I, I thought I was going to be Elvis, and I didn't yeah. write music, but um, my first real show that I ever played, the, the gig that I considered to be my first gig, was at Six Flags in Arlington, and it was the day they opened the new Harley Quinn ride up. And um, mm. it was so cool. It was so much fun. And, you know, that's definitely something I'm never going to forget. Yeah, but how many people were there? That that must be, like, pretty huge. Well, it's not really a question of how many people are there, but how many people pay attention. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, because they're there for, you know, a different reason, you know, per se. So, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so Psycho Billy Sunday is definitely a fan favorite. Like, what's the backstory to that song? So I was down in uh, New Braunfels. This was probably 20, 20, I guess it would have been 2019. I guess I misled you. I started getting into music more around like 2017, 2018. Okay. But, um, I was uh, in New Braunfels about 2019. We were playing one of the Two Tons Tuesdays with Two Tons of Steel. They were having us out as a special guest. And we were listening to the radio down there. 
And they played a uh, very Psycho Billy sounding song. They were like doing this kind of eclectic, like local artist show. And it was a local New Braunfels band. And I remember my dad was up in the front seat and he said, oh, would you listen to that? Psycho Billy on a Sunday morning. And I was like, that's awesome. I was like, I'm going to write that. Like, that's awesome. Like, turn around, take me back to the camper. I have to write that right now. Oh, that's so funny. Now, was that a hard one to write? I mean, you know, what what was that process like writing that song? So I got the initial basic story and lyrics and, you know, chord progression down, but it went through a lot of changes and I took it to a lot of people to kind of just be like, what do you think about this? Like, um, cause usually when I write songs, I have a pretty clear idea of what I want from them right from the start. And, but that song, I wasn't really sure. I didn't know if it was supposed to be more country. I didn't know if it was supposed to be more bluesy. I didn't know what I heard on it. I didn't know if I heard a really cool electric guitar riff. I, I just, I couldn't quite figure out what exactly the song was. And then when we were in the studio working on it, it clicked and I was like, Oh, it can be all of those things. It doesn't have to be just one of them. And that was a really big eye-opening moment for me, you know, that I didn't have to do something the way other people have done it, you know. And that's something I've applied to all my music. You know, I, I really want to be an original artist, you know, and I have so many different heroes, but I don't want to be any one of them. You know, I want to be Ryan Glenn. I want people to hear my thing, you know, hear my songs and go, oh, that's a Ryan Glenn song. That sounds like Ryan Glenn. Yeah, absolutely. I And I definitely feel that way about your music. Um, like, I, you know, I've shared with you before when we hear your music, like we hear all these different types of influences. We hear, you know, Johnny Cash and we hear like, you know, 70s British punk and we hear, you know, Hank and, you know, and I, I mean, Hank Williams Sr. And, uh, you know, and we hear... Um, just like, you know, all the, like old 97s, just a lot of different musical styles. But, um, and then when you put it all together, you know, kind of sprinkle your magic dust on it or whatever, you get Ryan Glenn, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, all these different styles, instead of uh, kind of crashing, they converge, you know, and they complement each other. And I think that's very hard to do. I don't think that you can do that purposely. I think that it just kind of, when it's natural, it just kind of um, evolves that way. It comes together that way. Does that make sense? And do you agree with that? Totally. And that's a huge compliment. And I really, really appreciate you saying that. That means a lot to me, you know, because that's, that's the kind of reaction I want people to have. You know, I want my influences to be clear, but I don't want to be any of my influences. But I think something that people don't think about a lot, too, when it comes to music is music, I, I don't know, you know, the progression of music happened because of other genres. There would be no, for instance, you mentioned, you know, British punk. There would be no British punk if there was no, you know, early 1930s blues. You know, there would be no Merle Haggard, you know, classic country music if there wasn't Hank Williams, and there'd be no Hank Williams if there wasn't blues, and there'd be no, you know, blues if there wasn't slave hymns, and there'd be no, you know, it, it's just music is a... Music grows, music, all styles of music grow and take inspiration from other styles of music. And I think it's something people don't realize, but it's something I think about a lot in my music is, you know, like, yeah, I love the Beatles. Like, I love, love the Beatles, but I also love all the stuff that came before them. And I think all those sounds and all the stuff that came after them. And I think all those sounds can merge together well, because without one of them, none of them would exist. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and hear uh, Psycho Billy Sunday because I think that song has a, 
I don't know, a, uh, a wide range of uh, sounds, you know, and influences that kind of just complement each other and work in that song. upgrade your home studio what kind of gear do you have in there for our gearheads out there yeah so i love 
like I love, love, love um, audio production. I'm still very new in it just because, you know, I, I just am, but I love it. You know, some of my big heroes in music are people like Sam Phillips and Leonard Chess. And, you know, I, I love the production side of it too and how those people help shape the sounds that we love. And, um, yeah, so I, I've had a few iterations of my home studio, but my latest iteration that has my newest upgrades, um, I'm running an Apollo Twin uh, as my interface. Um, right now I'm speaking into a SM7B microphone and uh, monitoring well into headphones, but out of a pair of uh, HS5 studio monitors. I have a lot of weird miscellaneous gear. Oh, I also have SE8 microphones and some vintage mics. I have a lot of just miscellaneous stuff. I have a TAC track uh, tape recorder. I have a Tascam Porta Studio. I have a uh, Summit Audio tube preamp. Um, I, I have a lot of just random miscellaneous things, but that's the kind of stuff I love. You know, I, I, I love the creative side of it so much, and I love putting songs together, and so it's fun, you know. What's your favorite piece of um, gear right now in your studio? I mean, of course, you put it together. You love everything in there for sure. But I don't know. Almost always someone has like this one mic that they just love or this one amp or something like that. Honestly, I think my favorite thing in my studio I love is my uh, TAC um, tape recorder. It's a big reel-to-reel -reel unit, and mm. it's so, so much fun. You know, you can use, I use it a lot for uh, slap delay on stuff when I'm working with other people and other artists and other engineers, and, you you know, if you run a mix through it, it'll really glue the mix together, and it, there's just something so cool about it that, you know, tape just has a thing that you can't describe, and I know everyone says that, and I know everyone tries to, and everyone says it's warm, or, you know, it does this, or it does that. I just don't think you can describe it. Just There's something about tape that you just can't put into words, and it's so cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. What was the hardest song you ever wrote? Probably Second Blue Sunday. I mean, it was, uh, it was just such a process. It was a process getting it from point A to point Z, honestly. Usually when I write songs, I know the emotion I want to convey in it, and I kind of have an idea in my head for how it goes. That song it just needed. I don't know. I, I think I wrote that. Honestly, I think I wrote that for the sole purpose of using it as a learning experience, and I just didn't know it yet. Hmm. Interesting. Who are your musical heroes? That's a <laughs> the, the list that's going to wrap around the uh, <laughs> 20 city blocks. <laughs> <laughs> I love everything. If there's an artist, I probably love something they did, or I can appreciate them. You know, I, I love old blues stuff. I love Robert Johnson. I love... Well, I probably sound like I don't love old blue stuff because I just couldn't list more than Robert Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I love Robert Johnson. I love Lead Belly going up. You know, I, I love blue stuff from the 50s. Like, I love Helen Wolf and Mickey Baker and, you know, Willie Nicks. I love uh, rockabilly stuff. That's some of the, you know, first music I ever fell in love with. You know, Elvis and Johnny Cash and um, all that stuff Sam Phillips was cutting. I mean... There's so many great artists, and um, I love punk. I love The Clash, The Cramps. I love Joan Jett. I love Nirvana. I love just so much stuff. I love gospel music. I love old country music. Hank Sr. is one of my big, 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 big heroes. There's just, like, so, uh, there's so much music. I can't even, like, I'm having a hard time putting my thoughts together because there's just so many artists that I feel like have really influenced me and 
you know, I love Roy Brown. If you haven't listened to Roy Brown, he was a like phenomenal R&B artist. He wrote Good Rock mm-hmm. in the Night, which Elvis had a hit with, but his other stuff too is just so, it was so cool. And um, I love Roy Orbison. I love Buddy Holly, Eddie Cochran. I can really just keep going on and on. <laughs> yeah, you know, through Elvis, because um, we like to look up, you know, the original, you know, uh, singers on a song and, you know, songwriters. Through Elvis, I've found, like, a lot of old blues artists, you know, like Big Mama Thornton and, you know, all these people that I really didn't have any previous knowledge of. And just going through the songs and tying them with the original artist or the original songwriter, sometimes both, I've discovered, like, all these other artists, which is so cool. Oh, totally. I mean, all all those rockabilly guys, at least that first generation of them, they were big, big, big into blues music. And honestly, rock and roll and blues music is one and the same. The only thing that made rock and roll rock and roll and blues music blues music is rock and roll was white people and blues music wasn't. You know, they called it rock and roll because if they called it blues music, people would turn off the station. You know, it, it really is crazy how much race impacted the way that music was pushed. And... It's nice, though, when you follow um, along and stuff, you see the convergence, right? So then it got to the point where Little Richard and Fats Domino and all these other people, um, James Brown, they were considered, well, James Brown was more, I guess he was considered more so, but the uh, previous people that I mentioned, they were absolutely considered rock and roll, you know, after, you know, kind of things started moving forward, you know, and that that's kind of cool to, to see, you know when you start realizing that there was a, a point in musical history when, um, you know, the powers that be started realizing, hey, <laughs> this is all rock and roll. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. And honestly, I don't think without rock and roll you would have had the civil rights movement in the 60s because if you look at it, the the young adults that were protesting and, you know, standing up for the rights of uh, African-Americans in the United States in the 1960s were the first generation that really grew up with, albeit a very, very thin and whitewashed slice, but they grew up with a slice of black culture. They had rock and roll and they got to, you know, they went and they saw a black artist and just seeing people that don't look like you. Right. Yeah. And yeah. pop culture and becoming part of your everyday makes such a big difference. I mean, because before that, their parents, they didn't do that. Their parents would Ugh, it's so horrible. I can I can really get into stuff like this. Yeah, I was no seriously. I was reading because um, I you know I love Wanda Jackson and I can't remember if it was her piano player. It was she. One of the members in her band was African American, and um, there was like you know a club that like wouldn't let him you know go on stage with her, and she's like <laughs> he's not coming on stage. I'm not either, you know. And she stood up to them and. So, you know, she ended up doing the show, but it was like a, a big, big thing. And that's like even um, even like Frank Sinatra with Sammy Davis Jr. And all he um, also I was reading in his biography where, you know, similar situation, you know, there were clubs and, you know, back then where they, you know, didn't want Sammy there and they didn't want to allow him to, you know, go on stage. Or if they did allow him to go on stage, he couldn't share quarters. He couldn't be in the same hotel, you know. I mean, just like weird stuff like that. We look back now, we're like, really? <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's just, um, and you're right. Music kind of has this, um, 
I don't know, for lack of a better word, it's like it's a it can be a unifying force and it can make uh, people aware, you know, of what's going on um, in the world in you know, present day culture. Art at its best, I believe, Ryan, is a reflection of, you know, um, the present culture, you know, at its best. I really believe that. Um, what, what do you think about that? I, I definitely agree. I mean, I think that's part of why we have music, you know, and we have art is to share emotions and to share them with people and to let other people knowing, let other people know that what they're feeling, other people are feeling too. And um, as far as it being unifying, I 100% agree with that. I mean, you can just look and see how much music has unified people and all art has. It's just, it's provocative and I can't put it into words just the way art can touch the way you're feeling and share the way you're feeling. I mean, I can listen to a song that was written 70 years ago by someone I will never meet that I will never meet anyone they're related to that lived in a completely different time and a completely different world than I did and be deeply touched. Like you really can feel through the veil with art yeah. and it is, it's just wild. Like I, I truly think there's a divine aspect to it. You know, I, yes. I, I love I that. Think, Divine, yes. I love that. Yes, that's such a great word, Ryan. Divine. There is. There's something very divine about art in all its forms. And I really think that it can move the conversation forward. Um, you know, and speaking to what you had shared about um, how maybe, you know, the civil rights movement, um, you know, was able to, you know, take center stage uh, because of the music that was being created, you know, and those uh, synergistic points, right, between, you know, uh, different groups of people, you know, from all, you know, walks of life and, you know, all sides of, you know, the world. So I think you're right, where music really kind of moved that conversation forward so that in, you know, the uh, 60s, we were able to, you know, come to a point where, you know, it was recognized that things had to change and, you know, the right law was put into place and that type of thing. Definitely. And we're still seeing that. We're seeing that still with music coming out of communities that are oppressed. I mean, yeah, I don't want to get political, but um, <laughs> it's definitely not something that stopped at the civil rights movement. No, it's definitely something that we're still seeing today. We're still seeing how music and pop culture as a whole through artwork. That's because when you think about it, pop culture is really defined by the artwork around it. It's defined yep. by the music, it's defined by the media on television, it's defined by, you know, movies and movie theaters, it's defined by the way people dress and the way people act, and all of that is reflections of art. And um, we still, I still see now, looking at my little sister and stuff, who's a freshman in high school, you know, how pop culture and art around it is still, as as the art becomes more accepting of people and people's differences, people become more accepting of people and people's differences. And I think that's just very profound. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there, right, Anna? We absolutely. Um, it's um, <clears throat> probably the most. It's an overly simplistic way of addressing this, but um, I really believe that number one, music and art, you know, uh, in all its forms, uh, kind of brings attention to things, you know, um, that maybe you know we're not thoroughly addressing. You know, it's kind of like one of those wake-up calls. And then <clears throat> number two, it kind of helps to move the conversation forward, 
And then also I really feel, because I've seen this continuously with a lot of different situations, that people fear things they don't know about, uh, things that are maybe foreign to them or maybe there's some type of, um, you know, concept, or you know, in their upbringing that makes them feel a certain way about, you know, X, Y, Z. You can insert anything there, right? And the more they become exposed, you know, through music, through different types of art, through, you know, relationships with other people, they start realizing, hey, you know, that person isn't that much different from me. You know, um, they may, you know, have different interests, you know, come from a different area, live their lives maybe differently than I am, but they're a human being with a soul, with a heart, you know, with hopes and dreams, you know. And, um, and I think that music and all forms of art really kind of advances uh, that dialogue, that conversation, and, you know, makes you maybe a little bit more open to, you know, having those interactions with people that might not be, you know, people in your own backyard, um, or maybe they are, but you just never noticed them before, you know? I mean, does that make sense? No, I, I mean, I definitely agree. There's an old quote I love that says, it's uh, by Mark Twain, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Oh, and my gosh. Obviously, that quote is so profound, and that quote is specifically talking about going and traveling and getting in other people's communities. And something that I think is amazing is in the time we're living in now with social media and with the internet, we're for the first time ever in history starting to see other people's communities coming to us through pop culture. Um, I was at Audio Dallas the other day. We were doing a session for an artist and they flew in a percussionist from Pakistan. Wow. That's awesome. For the first time ever, we're fi- we're in a place where While I still agree that you should go out in other communities and see things for yourself, we're also in a place where if you're on the Internet or you listen to music on your phone or you do anything other than live in a cave, you're going to be exposed to other people's (laughs) cultures. And I think once you let yourself be exposed to them and you put your guard down and just let yourself see what what other people are all about, you realize that we're all doing the same things. We're all making music. We're all making movies. We're all hanging out with our families and having good times. And everyone does it different. And some people's families might not look like yours. And some people might not look like you. And some people might not think like you um, about certain things. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all human. And we're all doing the very best we can. And we're all, you know, struggling with the same things. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome, Ryan. I. Totally, totally believe that. Um, and I've always been that way, you know. It's just um, a lot of the stuff, I just don't get it, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, why, <laughs> you know, people are people. It reminds me of that song. Um, oh, gosh, I have to think of the Depeche Mode, right? Depeche Mode, people are people. Remember that song? Oh, my gosh, it's like an old, old, old song. Um and the guy was basically saying, you know, people are people, so why should it be that you and I should get along so awfully? And he was just calling out all the, uh, you know, the uh, biases out there and, and things like that. And they really don't make any sense at all, you know. that's a, a lot of that is just fear, I think. It's just fear of the unknown, you know. So if you don't, um, if you're not familiar um, with, you know, certain 
type of environment or anything at all, you know, there's a little apprehension there, you know, and so, and those things are worked through as you make connections with others and you start meeting people um, that are just awesome people and they just, you know, might not be exactly like you in a lot of different ways, uh, but they're still equally, you know, just awesome, you know, I mean, just good, what I call good human beings, you know, <laughs> And, um, yeah, and it just starts, you start changing your, um, your perspective on things and your attitude, um, because you realize that there's so much to be gained, you know, by having, you know, these interactions with others, you know, that kind of broaden your horizons, um, and, and make you see things from a different perspective. I think that's really important. Um, someone, and I can't remember who it was, um, oh, I do remember. It was, uh, this is uh, Vin Vince Van Peel. What is it? Vincent Van Peel? That guy, the power of positivity, yeah, or so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Like Vincent, Doctor Vincent Peel, or something. He, um, he said that um, the only thing that doesn't progress um, is uh, the graveyard. So if you don't, <laughs> if you don't want to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> with your thinking or with, you know, whatever, um, that's probably where you belong, <laughs> the graveyard, because <laughs> it's about the only thing that doesn't, you know, move forward, you know, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely agree. I'm I'm really strong in my faith, and, you yeah. know, I, I love, I think my favorite thing that Jesus says in the Bible is right after the Last Supper, when, even when one of his very close disciples is about to betray him and the other one is going to deny him and say that he doesn't know him. He tells his disciples his new commandment. And I, I try to apply this in every single place in my life I can to every single person I meet. He says, love one another. He said, that's how people will know that you're a disciple of mine is if you love one another. And I see so many people that completely blatantly disregard that. But I, I personally think that is the most, the single most important line in the Bible. It, it defines what the entire message that Jesus Christ came down to bring us was, is that we are supposed to love one another, despite what they look like, despite how you feel about them, despite what shortcomings you may feel like they have and what shortcomings they really do have. We're called think, to love one another. Yeah, I think he did say that it was uh, one of the greatest commandments. You know, the first, the, the first like, great commandment um, was, of, of course, to love God above, you know, everything else. And then the second was... To love one another as I have loved you, I, I believe, I mean, I'm not a scholar, a Bible, <laughs> a biblical scholar or anything, but I, you know, I did kind of go to Sunday school from the time that I existed. Um, <laughs> so, and I believe that is considered the sec, I, I believe Jesus said it himself that it was the second greatest commandment to love one another as he has loved us. So all these other things, are not as important as that. He said it, so I believe it. <laughs> well, and that's what the whole story of the Good Samaritan is about. You know, the the person who is very well versed on Mosaic law, you know, stands up to challenge Jesus to try to belittle him and put him down and says, well, how do I get into heaven? And Jesus said, well, what does it say in the Mosaic law? And he says, you know, love, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, then do it. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell this whole story about uh, about a person that looked just like the person he was talking to, that 
you know, gets robbed and gets his clothes stripped off of him and is left on the sidewalk for dead. And he goes on to talk and tell him about how the one who is his neighbor is the one that comes and helps him and shows mercy and shows God's compassion. And it's not any of the people that he would have expected. It's not... It's not the person from his groups. It's not the person that looks like him. It's the person that has a different faith than him and a different understanding of the world than him that comes and, you know, shows him God's mercy. And Mm -hmm. that's what we're called to do. We're called to show mercy and we're called to love. That's what the whole story is about. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That's that's a, a great story, you know, absolutely on how to live life. If you could hang out with anyone for a weekend, living or dead. Who would it be and why? What'd you do? That is such a hard one. It was a hard one when you asked me before we lost it. (laughs) You bet. So I think before I was given permission to have a group of five. Yeah. um, Might change a little bit because now I've had more time to think about it. Okay. I feel like, oh, it's just so hard. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Phillips from Sun Records is definitely on the list. Oh, man. It just gets so difficult after that. <laughs> I would love to hang out with Robert Johnson, maybe. I feel like that would be really, really cool. He has so much mystery around his life. It'd just be so cool to get to sit down and talk to him. Yeah, crossroads guy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to uh, sit down and talk to Elvis and Johnny Cash about all the things they did. Awesome. One more. And earlier, when we did this the first time around, I said Jesus Christ, but I feel like we might have have, uh, exhausted the audience with that. (laughs) Yeah. I would love to talk to Hank Williams Sr. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. What a conversation that would be. Wow. A group. Can you imagine having all those people in one room? I mean, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around that. Well, I know that Hank would be hanging out with Robert, like for sure. You know, that's like, <laughs> yeah, they would be jamming out for sure. And then Johnny Cash and Elvis would be fighting over each other. <laughs> you know, there's like this friendly, well, I don't know if it was too friendly, that rivalry they had. I'm not sure. <laughs> there's but, so many artists from that time too. That's like always so fun to me is how many artists had uh rivalries with each other like obviously elvis and johnny cash had one brian wilson and paul mccartney had a really big rivalry oh, that was more than just a little friendly rivalry i think you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah there were several uh there from that time especially for some reason you know you wonder why you know i mean it's just i don't know i guess you know the uh grab for fame or maybe Fundamental differences? I, You know, who knows? We were listening to Tired of Hurting, and it's such a sad song. And I was wondering what the backstory is, if there is a backstory to that song. Yeah, um, this might be a, a tough subject for some of your listeners. It's just a little forewarning. But um, I wrote that song based on two different things. Um, one thing was something that was happening in my life, and then another thing was something I read that just happened to really resonate with me because of what I was going through. But um, I wrote that song right at the beginning of the pandemic. I was uh, out of school because I graduated in 2020. So I had just gotten out of high school and all of my friends had moved away. Um, The pandemic had completely cut off my music. So I was planning on uh, hitting the studio and I did end up hitting the studio. It just was not the way we expected it. 
um, because of, you know, timing wise. And I uh, wasn't playing any shows. I had a bunch of shows that all just got completely wiped off the map. And I was working full time for my uh, dad's construction company. And I just remember waking up every single day and going to work completely numb and then coming home and immediately going to bed and just feeling completely just hopeless because every bit of momentum and every dream I had and everything I was doing all just very suddenly hit a wall. Um, and I feel very blessed that that, of all things, is probably one of the hardest things I've ever gone through because um, I know people that have gone through way worse, and I don't mean to take away from their pain in saying that that was the most difficult thing for me. But at the same time while that was happening, I don't even remember how I found it, and I tried finding it again, and I cannot. But I found a news article where it was talking about suicide in teens, especially impacted by the pandemic. And, um, I, you know, I was 19, 18 or 19 at the time, and I saw in this article there was a mother that was talking about her daughter who had um, hung herself on the other side of the bathroom door, and they couldn't get the door open because her body was up against it and made it too heavy. And I remember that just, like, sucking the air out of me. I just, I, like, could not even fathom thinking about, you know, my family, thinking about my sister, like, oh. if that had happened to someone I knew and I loved. And I remember that was the moment where it just clicked, like, I really need to write a song about this. Like, I'm feeling this way. Other people are feeling this way. And other people are taking out and incredibly destructive ways and i you know like we were talking about earlier i feel like we're given music as a way to communicate emotions and to let other people know that we're feeling what they're feeling so that's part of why i wrote, wrote that song you know is i wanted other people to know that they're not alone in feeling this way and i especially wanted people to know that you know a big theme in the song is it would have been preventable for all these people if someone had listened you know, if someone had taken notice of them. You know, the first verse is about a starving artist that is in an incredibly hopeless situation. The second verse is about that girl, and I made a little bit of a story behind it, and it's about how if she had been, you know, treated better by her friends, if she hadn't been bullied, if the same people that talked about how awesome of a person she was had actually treated her like she was when she was alive, that wouldn't have happened. And then the third verse is about someone who was uh, assaulted and tried to get help for it and was turned down and told that, you know, nobody listened to them and essentially was told that their pain isn't real. And all, all three of those verses are written by people that I've known in real life that think, thankfully haven't, thankfully got the help they needed before it happened. But the song is kind of a what if, you know, for those people. What if they hadn't gotten the help? What if nobody had listened to them? What if they, you know, didn't get what they needed? And that, that's, you know, that's what the song's trying to communicate. Wow. That's that's awesome. And we're going to hear that song right now. Can you hear the water? The painter's work of art. Is it painted with the razor blade or the tears in his heart? Finally find him What are they gonna say? Nobody tried to know him 
knocking on the wall Every day she would hang her head But this time it wouldn't fall And all of those who heard her And caught her those names They'll say how much they loved her Like they didn't give her the pain Oh, she was tired of her Yeah, she was tired of her tracking some new songs tell us about it when should we expect to hear new tunes so the titles yeah so i um i uh have been interning at audio dallas and doing some assistant stuff for other engineers and um i was very blessed to get to kind of do some a little bit of an experimental session and we track two new songs i have live on the tape um very very old school you know there's lots of bleed very minimal mixing and um Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. It was really, really cool. But, um, you know, and they have all kinds of really, really awesome vintage gear and mics, and it was so cool. But, um, yeah, I have those recorded. We're still trying to make a little bit of a game plan because I have uh, those two songs, but then I plan on cutting a full-length record here real soon again. So we don't really have any set plans to release them anytime soon. We're just kind of sitting on them. They will be coming out. It's just a matter, more of a matter of... uh, it's when as opposed to if we just don't know when yeah i mean i would love for your listeners to be able to 
you know, I'm sure we'll mention it later in the in the uh, later in the interview. I'd love for your listeners to be able to, you know, follow me on Facebook and Instagram and be the first ones to see when that stuff comes out because I'm really excited about it and I'm excited to get it out there. Yeah, sounds sounds awesome. So um, this is like one of the most serious questions we have, Ryan. So you know, kind of get in the right headspace for this. Um, so what do you like on your pizza? <laughs> you didn't ask me this one the first time around. That's a hard. One. Yeah, and you know, be very careful because what you like, what's your preferred thing on your pizza? That says a lot about you. You know. <laughs> Says a lot about your character. <laughs> well, being a musician and then being at a lot of recording studios, I've been very, very blessed to be around a lot of pizza in my lifetime. <laughs> and um, a few a few weeks ago, I tried a fig and goat cheese pizza. That was pretty cool. I'd never tried that before. Um, a few weeks ago, or actually about a week and a half ago, I got to try a uh, like meat lovers pizza with pineapple on it which was strange combination of flavors but it was really good Mm. i love putting ranch dressing on my pizza you know a little ranch drizzle i love putting Mm. hot sauce on my pizza too i don't do that i like that yeah i do that Mm -hmm. i love my my girlfriend can tell you i love spicy foods and i have a very high spice tolerance and i'll go absolutely nuts on peppers and hot sauces (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Never tried ranch. I'm going to have to, like, I use ranch as a dipping sauce, but I've never tried it, like, drizzled on a pizza. That sounds like it would be really yummy. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, that sounds cool. So so what is your absolute favorite? Is it the hot sauce, the, you know, ranch on your pizza? I mean, like, the absolute, like, if you could only have, like, one type of, you know, uh, topping or one set of toppings on your pizza, what would it be? If I could only have, like, one more kind of pizza, and that would be the only pizza I could have for the rest of my life, um, my mom, my mama, she makes the absolute greatest pizza ever. And it's just a veggie pizza. There's nothing special about it. It's just for some reason the way she makes it, it is so insanely good. And that would probably be the only pizza I'd want to have the rest of my life. Hmm. So it's a veggie pizza. Hmm. Like what? Like does it have like mushrooms? Like peppers? Like tomatoes? I mean, what what does it have on it? Yeah, it's you know it's mushrooms and spinach and olives and um, I think sometimes she might put tomatoes on it, but I don't really like tomatoes on pizza. I don't mm-hmm. really like tomatoes that much. Yeah, it's too mushy. Mm-hmm. But um, and then I'll put ranch or hot sauce on it, you know. But they're they're good. They're really oh, really so good. My favorite artist right now, that's really hard, <laughs> probably Mickey Baker. Um, he was uh, half of Mickey and Sylvia, which had that song Love is Strange, um, which was a big hit in the 50s. But he had some solo stuff. And I love Mickey and Sylvia's stuff, but his mm-hmm. solo stuff especially. like He has some really, really heavy-hitting blues with these really just – you know, the subjects of the songs are never deep, but the way he talks about them is so deep. You know, he'll he'll crank that he'll crank the volume up on his amp and override the tubes and just have this insane distortion on his guitar. And he was a phenomenal guitar player for the time. And um I don't know, there's just so much emotion in it and something I really, really love about music is when it's 
legitimate, when it's real. You know, all those blues artists, all those old country artists, um, those early rock and roll artists, jazz artists, everything they were singing about, they were singing about because it was stuff they were feeling and it's stuff they were going through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Now, there's a, a guy out now. His name is, I don't know if he, if he's, if it's Kristen or Chris Stone, because he spells it Chris Stone, the kingfish, they call him. He's real good. He's actually um, Charlie Pride's nephew, and he's doing like that real hardcore blues. And it's it's good stuff. You should if you don't if you've never heard of him, you should check him out. I think he's called they call him the Kingfish. I think Chris Stone Kingfish, something like that. Uh, one thing I noticed about you, Ryan, uh, when I was looking through uh, your social media is, you know, you you kind of have a swagger. You know, <laughs> you you know, I see you like sometimes dressed to the nines, just like Hank and Johnny and Lefty. You know, used to dress like back in you know, back in the 50s and stuff, um, you know, is that like, you know, and Elvis, of course, absolutely. I mean, um, is that like, you know, part of, you know, your overall, you know, like approach, you know, to music, you know, in terms of, you know, the swag has something to do with it as well, like the presentation of the music, you know, um, your image and that type of thing. Um, is that, you know, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Because, you know, the guys back in the 50s, they were all about really dressing sharply, um, especially for the bigger shows. Oh, totally. I mean, I don't know. For me, that's just always been like a part of it is if you're going to be on stage, you look like someone that's on stage, you know. And I think that's because so many of my heroes are that, – that's just the way it was. You know, Hank Williams wore all those nudie suits that had all these oh, yeah. awesome. and rhinestones and tassels. Yeah. Elvis, I mean – that that's probably one of my my biggest influences for how I dress on stage or those are my two biggest influences you know I switch between you know depending on the show if it's more of a laid back show I'll show up in jeans and my boots with yeah, a sure, know, bandana dress mm-hmm. coat and um, a cowboy hat and then if it's more of a, a bigger show I have a you know I love like polyester flared pants I have this yeah it's cool black and white boots you know mm-hmm. big belt buckles you know very very 70s Elvis kind of stuff, but that's just, yeah. stuff I mean, I never try to dress like anybody or never try to emulate anybody with myself. Right. I get compared to those two people and I recognize that I really, really love, you know, the way they did things, but I'm, I always try to just be myself with it. No, I hear you. Um, you know, when I go like to a bigger show, I mean, if I'm, you know, paying, you know, you know, over 20 bucks or something, I, I don't want to see someone who looks like they just, slept in their car that the night before <laughs> it's just like i you know because even if you did sleep in your car you know you could still like go to you know the bathroom and clean up and put on some new clothes you know i've heard stories like that too um it's just i don't know it's something about um feeling like the person is investing time in you know how they present themselves and, and that they care you know they care about you know at least, you know, looking good, you know what I mean? You know, because they're going to put on a show, you know. And I think those artists that we mentioned, um, for the most part, you know, they always kind of proactively, you know, try to, you know, look really good. Um, I had read something about um, Hank and and Lefty Frizzell that um, even if they were at like a Dairy Queen, they were dressed like they were stars, you know, and that was just the way they were, you know. And I, I always, especially Lefty Frizzell, and I always felt like that's cool, you know. Like, you know, I, 
you go to see one of your favorite artists, you know, and it's a bigger show and <laughs> they come out and the, like the shirt is like, if an iron catches that shirt, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, and you're like, oh, you know, you're kind of disappoint. Now, if it's like a local yokel, you know, show like at, you know, the corner bar, I don't care, you know, but I'm talking about, you know, when you're really paying you know, 20, 30 bucks, that's not, you know, anything to blink your eye about. You know what I mean? It's, you know, you're, you're paying money, you, you know, kind of want to see that they're going all out as well. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I, I love people that are being themselves and people that are legitimate. You know, I all those artists that we mentioned, they were being legitimate. They were being who they felt like they were supposed to be. You know, same thing goes for, you know, Freddie Mercury, which we talked about mm -hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Mercury yeah. dressed super extravagantly, but that's because he was being who he was, and that's the person he wanted to be, and I think that's awesome, you know, and Kurt Cobain, he wore some pretty outlandish stuff, but he was being himself. Yeah, grunge, yep, yep, yeah, absolutely. If someone was going to film a movie about your life, what would be the title? Uh, let me see. Let me think about mm -hmm. that one. Well, like, what's, like, the weirdest thing anyone has said about you, or what's, like, the biggest type of uh, nitpick that someone would have that knows you that that could be the name of a movie <laughs> <laughs> or I, I guess something you can't share <laughs> f out of five <laughs> f out of five yeah there's a backstory to that one <laughs> f out of five hey it's a catchy title <laughs> people would probably watch the movie just to find out what that means <laughs> I have been, uh, I've been very, very blessed that I've gotten to play some of the stuff that I've gotten to play, you know, Mayflower Festival and down at Green Hall and headlining festivals up here in my hometown. It's, you know, um, and around my hometown and, you know, it, it's been very, very, a, a very, very big blessing, but it doesn't mean that I haven't played some pretty, uh, weird gigs too. One of the <laughs> first shows I ever, ever played was at an old folks home. Oh. Needless to say, I'm not the kind of music they wanted to hear. <laughs> But they had these cards where people could leave, like, what they thought about it, and then they give them to the venue, and the venue goes through them for booking purposes and then gives them to the artists. And I remember getting an email before we got the envelope in the mail, and she was like, the woman that booked the venue said, you know, we sent this out today. We thought you did a really, really great job, and we're really, really appreciative of you coming and playing. You might not want to open that envelope, though. <laughs> just, we have to send it to you, but you might just want to, you know, just toss it out and not acknowledge it. And I was like, no, like, I completely understand that I was not at all the band that was supposed to be playing that. Uh, <laughs> Great learning experience, but, uh, you know, I have a pretty firm belief that you should play anything. You know, if you're not, if you're not someone that's playing out sold out arenas, you know, I don't, I don't personally feel like you should be turning down stuff, you know. No, yeah, yeah, play everywhere. Yep. And you have yeah. no idea who you're going to play in front of. I've met some very, very, very awesome connections and very great friends and gotten very good shows from playing things that any other artist would have said, oh, that's not for me because the money wasn't very good or because the venue isn't a bad part of town or because it was on a, you know, a bad, uh, you know, like on, I played during the Super Bowl, so. <laughs> yeah. did, what did you open the envelope? I'm just so curious now. <laughs> I did open the envelope. My whole band and I were together. I did it at rehearsal. I opened the envelope and we pulled out the stuff and we got some really really just oh my gosh so, the sweetest people can also be the most hateful people oh my gosh 
But my favorite one is where on the one out of five rating part, they said something just ridiculous, like not a good band, needs more work, needs to, you know, figure out such and such. And then on the one out of five part, they wrote F for their number. (laughs) (laughs) Became a bit of an inside joke. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's hysterical. (laughs) That's hysterical. All right. That's cool. Well, um, all right. This this question actually, um, it's our signature question, and we ask it on you know all of our podcasts. Um, doesn't matter what the podcast is. Uh, so, if you were on a deserted island, what five albums would you have to bring, and why? Okay, so that one is a really loaded one for me as well because I love so many albums. Yep. And I actually made a big list of records. Y'all told me about two hours before I got on the show, and in that two-hour time span, I adjusted my list and moved stuff around and took stuff off and put new stuff on and figured out I accidentally had too many albums and then too few. So I have a pretty big list of honorable mentions I'd like to go through first. Awesome. So my honorable mentions, Elvis at Stacks, Presenting yeah. Mickey Baker, Live at Azusu 2 by Carlton Pearson, which is a... Awesome, like phenomenal album if you haven't listened to it. No, I have to check it out. Great. Um, there's a Buddy Holly box set called Not Fade Away. Yep, have that. An Eddie Cochran box set that's just called The Complete Box Set. Hmm. Grand Theater, Volume 2 by the old 97s. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Together by Gloucester Williams, which is a really, hmm. really cool, like obscure. It's a Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a gospel album from the 70s, but it's like gospel, like, disco soul it's like and you can find it on spotify but it's like there's only like 12 people that listen to it a a month and i'm one of them (laughs) wow that's awesome i urge your audience to check that one out that one's cool yeah any miscellaneous records that are from hank senior roy brown roy orbison howlin wolf or john lennon yep those are the albums where you know i'll have like my carry-on bag and my personal item and they'll be like oh that's too big of a carry-on bag you know you got to leave that behind so i just bring my personal item on and here's what's in my personal item uh this is what'll be with me when the plane crashes and i'm stuck on this deserted island now is this in order and the order of preference yes i believe so okay all right so start with number five and then go all the way to number one if that's okay okay all right It would probably be London Calling by The Clash. Yep. Nevermind, Nirvana. Uh, mm -hmm. Have it. A Date with Elvis. Robert Johnson's Centennial Collection. And then The Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash, which is American Volume 4 or 5. Yeah. Hand clap for that. Yep. Very good. Awesome meaty selections. Absolutely. And you gave me some that I need to look up too in your honorable mentions. So that's, that's awesome. I appreciate that. There's some cool records I, I have, and that only scrapes the surface. Like I, something I actually really, really emphasize is albums as opposed to just songs. You know, yeah. of, I feel like albums, you know, a lot of people will take the songs they like off a record and listen to those. And I do that too, but I mean, I really love sitting down with a record and saying this is the whole album because it's a piece of art that a lot of the times the artist put together with the intention of it being listened to all at once, you know, especially old music. You know, like I realized Elvis had singles coming out, but usually when an album came out, the idea was people would listen to the whole album from start to finish. When Johnny Cash made that American album, he was intending for people to listen to the album from start to finish. And if you do, it's a phenomenal record where he goes through 
some of the songs that he wrote that made him famous and has new versions of them. He goes through his favorite songs of all time, and then he ends it with a song called um, We'll Meet Again, which has June Carter singing on it and a lot of his friends singing on it. And, you know, it's it's about, you know, meeting on the other side. And considering it was the last thing he was able to release before he passed away, it's a really meaningful piece of art that I pe think you miss when you only listen to a song here or there, you know, when it, if you only listen to Hurt and When Man Comes Around. Yeah, it's, I have to agree with you there. I've even, you know, I like to blog and I've even written about that. It's a total immersive experience when you actually sit down and listen to the entirety of the work, you know, from start to finish, you know, it's like they say you shouldn't open a wine bottle unless you're going to finish off the bottle, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like just a total experience. And you get to experience it the way that the artist intended it, you know. Um, I don't think most artists want you just to pick a song, you know. They want you to hear the entirety of their work, you know. I mean, they, in there they, you know, sweated through it and everything else, and they want you to hear the entirety. And then often there are some uh, lines of symmetry in terms of, you know, um, the songs are connected in some way as well. You know, sometimes you, you know, hear um, those kind of um, story patterns, I guess, you know. Um, some albums are theme-oriented, and, and you miss that if you don't sit down and listen to the entire thing. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'm a total vinyl person. When I, um, I will say that we usually will listen to something like on Spotify or, you know, some other streaming platform, but if we like the album, then we'll buy the vinyl. What do you want fans to know about you? Like as a closing out kind of thing? Yeah, like, yeah, the very last thing. Like if there's like one thing that you could share with your fans, like something that you would want them to know um, about you, your career, you know, your mission, you know, whatever that might be, you know, something from your heart that you'd like to share uh, for them to know about you. Because um, you'll have a lot of new fans um, there'll be, of course, fans that you already have, and then there'll be other people that are just kind of like, oh, you know, never heard him before. So, you know, love for you to have the opportunity to share something from your heart to them. Totally. I mean, um, first, real quick, I want to thank you all so much for having me on the podcast, and it's been, you know, such an honor and so cool, and, you know, even if we've had to redo it, it's been a great time. <laughs> um, and thank you so much you and the whole you guys and the whole station i don't know how many i don't know how many hands are on deck but thank you all so much for including me on your list of you know cool new, you know great new music from 2021 that's a huge honor and i remember saying that and just being so proud to be part of that list with other awesome artists you know as far as my social media handles go i'm on uh, facebook and instagram at ryan glenn official i think my twitter is still at ryan glenn band because i don't use it that often but i'm about to start using it again this interview has inspired me and uh I'm on I'm online. I have a website, uh, RyanGlennBand.com. I have a full full list of shows. I guess something I just really like to say is, you know, if you've enjoyed any of the music that you've heard and you've enjoyed hanging out with us while we talk, it would mean a whole lot, a whole whole lot if you know you would check out my website, check out merch, see if there's anything you're interested in, and even if not, I mean, just you know, follow me on Instagram. You know, listening to my music on Spotify, you know, going back to the whole album thing, my record is, you know, designed to be an experience. And I want to share my feelings and I want to share the things I'm doing. And it would just be a huge honor for any one of y'all to come and hang out with me some more at shows and hang out with me online. And, and if you aren't having a good time, if you've hated everything I've said and think I'm wrong, <laughs> I 
little uh, contact submission box on my website. Feel free to come and let me know how much you hate what I'm doing. And maybe, I'll give you a, maybe I'll send you a hat for free. <laughs> hey, hey, constructive criticism only makes you stronger, you know. So, yeah, that's a good attitude to have, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And what's your Venmo? Because our audience loves to support, you know, artists that, you know, we have on the show. Uh, my Venmo is at Ryan Glenn Band. And just for all of these things, Glenn is G-L-E-N-N, so two N's. You know, 20 years old, trying to make a living playing music, <laughs> and, you know, engineering stuff at studios and stuff. It's, uh, it's a bit of a long walk. <laughs> wow. So you're doing this full time plus your internship? Yes, ma'am. Oh, I, I, wow. I didn't really realize that oh ryan okay that's awesome to know and then are you hoping to um maybe uh you know uh become an engineer on the side or something like that i mean kind of makes sense really i mean is that why you have an internship or is it something else i really want to produce music and i've already done production just you know in my home studio and i produced a single up at audio dallas for another artist but um oh so you want to produce other artists not just your own stuff. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I want to be a producer. Like, Oh, wow. Just as much as I want to do my own music. I love helping other people make their music. And I know what I want to hear, you know. And I, I just love being in the studio. And I love creating. And I love being creative. And there's something so intimate and special that you can't describe when somebody comes to you with their song, which is their baby that they've been working on, and says, you know, I trust you to help me raise this and turn it, you know, help it grow up. And there's something so special about that that just can't be beaten. You know, I like like I've said several times, I feel like music is all about creativity. It's all about connecting people. It's all about telling stories and telling people feelings and conveying emotion. And there's just something so cool about getting to be a part of that process. Wow, that's amazing. See, that's not something you shared with us, that you wanted to actually be a producer. That's huge. That's And we have a lot of musicians and artists that listen to the podcast, so that's just great information to have. So if they wanted to reach out to you, they could do it across social media, you know, on your Facebook. There's a contact form on your website as well. I mean, what, what's usually your preferred uh, method of contact? Either of those work perfect. I mean, the contact form will send it straight to my email and, um, you know, message me on Instagram or Facebook and I'll... I'll see that come up right away. Okay, cool. And do you do co-writes? I did notice that you like wrote pretty much every song on your album, if I'm not mistaken, because I was looking through and I said, what? It looks like he's written like almost every single song on there on Far Away Rose. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I wrote every song on it except for the last song, which is uh, it's All of Me, which is an old uh, Yeah, it's an old standard. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, cool. So are you into co-writes as well? Do you do much of that? Are you open to that? I haven't done a whole lot, but I love to get into it more. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely something I'd be interested in. I just haven't really had a whole lot of opportunities to, I guess. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So Ryan is definitely wants to pursue producing as well, and he's open to uh, co-writing with others. So like I said, we have a lot of people in the music business that – Listen to the podcast. So that's like awesome information to have. Well, we've had a blast for the past two hours. <laughs> Thanks for being such a trooper in sport. Um, totally dig your music. Can't wait to hear the new stuff, but still kind of, you know, wearing out, you know, <laughs> far away Rose still, still sounds fresh and good. And thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. And it's, it's been a big honor being able to be on the show and, 
getting to share my thoughts and hang out and it's been a great time. Is there like one place that you, you know, it's a dream for you to play that, you know, have you given thought to that? Like that, is there one venue that you're like, wow, if I play there, I know that I've made it or that I've at least made an impact. My buddy Joshua Ray Walker just played the Grand Ole Opry. That's pretty. That's huge. (laughs) Definitely um, on my bucket list of things that I'm praying to God I get to do someday. Oh, okay. Wow. You want, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. We've had, uh, quite a few guests that have played the Opry, um, already. So that, that's definitely very cool. You know, we just know that great things are going to happen in your life moving forward and, you know, always wishing you the very best of everything in your life, personally and, and musically speaking as well. TYG, the Texas Young Girls, 2022, all rights reserved.